containers in the building. Greetings, fine people. Greetings, greetings, and welcome to the Stamp of Approval podcast. This is episode number five. I am Bobby Stamps, your host. And I'd like to thank you for uh, taking some of your very valuable time out of your day and um, coming on over to the podcast and and checking me out. I realize you have a lot of choices out there in the podcast world, in the uh, sports talk radio world, sports talk uh, satellite radio world, and I am humbled that you would choose to come and spend it with me. Uh, I think we're going to have a good time today. We're going to, as usual, talk a lot of uh, college football, a little bit of pro football, um, going to talk a few, any, you know, society, uh, topics going on around the region, the region being obviously the Metro Atlanta area, Georgia area. Uh, we will also touch on some national issues or, or national topics as they become relevant. Um, and, and we'll, you know, hopefully keep it fresh and, and keep it moving along. Want to also give a big thank you, big shout out to Pennington Distilleries. Uh, as you guys know, they're my sponsors, um, or my sponsor. Uh, they create Pickers Vodka as well as Davidson's Reserve Tennessee Whiskey. Two very fine, very high quality uh, spirits. Uh, and, and once again, you know I am a champion for small business and Pennington Distilleries is indeed a small business um, based in Nashville, Tennessee. So when you support Pickers or you support uh, Davidson's Reserve, you're supporting uh, small American-owned business and you're supporting uh, hardworking American family. So please uh, check them out and, and, and give them a try next time you're in your uh, package store. Uh, also, big shout out to uh, and, and thank you to B Hyphen at the Hyphen Podcast Group. He is the guy that, that puts this together and, and, and ensures that it gets out there and gets to you, gets on the formats that you uh, that you listen to your podcast on. So big thank you to B Hyphen. Without him, this would not be possible. Uh, and, and I would encourage you as well to check out the hyphen podcast group. Again, there are a lot of talented podcasters over there, uh, and, and they have a lot of different topics that, that they discuss a lot of different podcasts from movies to concert reviews, to, to sports talk, to, I mean, really to comic books, to wrestling, a lot of, a lot of cool stuff over there. So, so stop by and check them out uh, when you can Let's go and jump right into, um, college football now um you know that's again what we all know here where we are and we being metro atlanta georgia area southern area southeastern area the the straw that stirs the drink down here is college football uh and and um you know sec football acc football obviously so let's kind of jump into to where we are what uh what the last week brought us and you know, we touched on it last week. There was that big elephant in the room uh, was was the Georgia Bulldogs, the mess that they created by, uh, you know, just not showing up uh, against uh, a, a somewhat of a rival in South Carolina. But regardless, it's an Eastern Conference uh, or an Eastern Division of the Southeastern Conference, an Eastern Division rival. Uh, you you got to win those games. And when Georgia just chooses not to show up, you know, it raises questions. So, you know, everybody was look was wondering, what's Georgia going to do 
the next week against Kentucky? Are they going to come out and just blow doors? Is Kirby going to ratchet up the pressure that week of practice? And, and, and will, the, will the dogs come out loaded for bear and just blow Kentucky out of the water? Nah. They, they, they pretty much did anything but. Real, just a, the, the, the past few weeks with the Georgia football team has really been kind of a, a head scratcher for everybody. I mean, everybody around the country. I, I, I think it's safe to say probably everybody from Kirby on down. Uh, the defense has played really, really well. But again, let's, let's kind of take a step back. Against South Carolina, they were playing a true freshman backup quarterback. He went out. He left the game hurt. A third-team quarterback came in. I think he was a freshman as well, but he was a wide receiver a couple of weeks prior. Against Kentucky this past week, once again, due to injury, they faced a quarterback that had been a wide receiver. Great athlete. I don't even think throwing the ball was was in his arsenal. Uh, In fact, Kentucky only threw for 17 yards against Georgia Saturday. 17. We had that many on one play in the uh, fourth grade game between the Sharon Springs 20 Falcons and the um, Midway Wolverines or whatever they call themselves this past weekend. And we played played in a driving rainstorm. So the defense for Georgia, you can only play, you know, you can only line up and, and, and do what you got to do against who you're set up to play. And the Georgia defense has done its job, no doubt about it. The offense is... The only thing I can say about the offense is what in the what's who are you? What are we doing? What's going on? You know, Georgia fans, if I if you had been in a time warp since last season and you were snapped out of it the last two weeks, last the, the whole season, you know, going all the way back to week one at Vandy, would you have thought that Jim Chaney was still calling the plays? Yeah. I I can't tell one bit of difference between Jim Chaney and, and James Coley, and I'll tell you, I, I you know, I, let me take that back. The difference is negative in that I don't think that Jake Fromm is comfortable with what Coley is doing and what he's being asked to do. Because you know, Jake Fromm proved as a true freshman, he's a ball player. He can make the decisions. He can get the ball to the right spots. He acts quickly, very intelligent. He has the arm strength to do what he needs to do with the football. But how is it that Jake Fromm, after two-plus years of playing quarterback at a very high level in the most competitive conference in college football, appears to be a count late on a lot of his throws? And that comes from not being sure. That comes from not knowing 100% what he's supposed to do, not having faith in uh, his, his coaching staff to put him in the right play, possibly not having faith in his wide receivers to be where they're supposed to be. But I, ch- I, I tend to doubt that because from is a count laid on his throws and the receivers are where they're supposed to be. So I think it's a translation as it translates from the film room to the game plan, from Coley's headset down to Fromm on the field. I think Fromm, I think something is lost in there. 
And I think this week they had best get it figured out because if, if they go down to Jacksonville next week and play the Gators and perform on offense the way they've performed really this entire year, you know, they, they didn't exactly go to Vandy and blow doors. The Notre Dame game, they put up 23 points. The South Carolina game, they put up 17 points. The Kentucky game, they put up 21 points. And all these are – make no mistake about it. You know, these those defenses that they played are not going to be confused with the 85 Bears, okay? Somebody like an LSU or like an Oklahoma would have put up 40-plus on each of those teams. I'm curious as to if, uh, you know, and this is something I don't know. I'm not in that building. I haven't even heard. This is just kind of my theory. And and, and credit to Kirby and and his crew for for no one, or at least no one that I know, having heard anything of the sort because they do a great job of controlling what info gets out of there. But I think that some or a large part of the offensive ineptitude is to be blamed on Kirby and his wanting to be uh, protective of the um, the clock, per se, protective of the ball, protective of his defense overall. I think Kirby wants to slow the game down, control the ball, keep the defense off the field, get a lead, salt games away. Uh, hey, Kirby, pro tip, brother. The 1980s just called. They want their offensive uh, theory back, okay? In this day and age, when, when teams like LSU, Ohio State, Alabama are leading the league, leading the nation in scoring as they are, top four teams in scoring offense in Division I football, Alabama, LSU, Oklahoma, Ohio State. Is it any surprise that those are also the best four teams in the country at this point? No disrespect to Clemson. Uh, Clemson is definitely up there with them. There's no doubt about it. But you get my drift. Offenses have to score. You have better players than anyone on your schedule, especially if you're the Georgia Bulldogs. If you're the Oklahoma Sooners, if you're the Ohio State Buckeyes, you have better players than everyone on your schedule. So why not blow doors? Why not put pressure on them? And Kirby's way of thinking comes from, I think, again, what does virtually everything that Kirby does come from? Comes from Nick Saban. He wants to be, Georgia wants to be modeled after the Alabama program that Nick Saban built and that Kirby cut his teeth under, right? And you remember it was just a few years ago Nick Saban came out and, and, and wanted to get law or get rules instituted that would slow the game down. So teams couldn't just run, 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 run. You know, when Hugh Freeze first came out and was doing his thing, when Gus Malzahn came out and was doing his thing, when uh, Chip Kelly at Oregon was just running, uh, trying to run 100 plays a game, just, just one every 15, 10, 15 seconds, the Mike Leach air raid offense, right? And what did Nick Saban do? He, he wanted to slow the game down, get some rules put in place, and he claimed now, he claimed that it was in the benefit of the players and he was looking out for their safety because if they play that many plays, they're going to get fatigued, they're going to get hurt. 
Well, y'all, Nick Saban was not worried about the players getting hurt. He was trying to figure out a way to control the ball and win ball games. But, you know, I don't understand why Nick Saban didn't back then understand it, which ultimately he, he started to, is look what offense he's running now. And I don't understand Kirby wanting to slow the game down. Every time you slow the game down and you want to run less plays, Kirby, you're bringing your opponent back into the ball game. Because once again, Georgia has better players than everybody on their schedule. They have more players. They have bigger, stronger, faster players. So why not run a thousand plays? The more plays you run, the more the athleticism and the depth will become evident and the better team will pull away. What's the old saying, y'all? You know, one team will upset somebody, they'll beat somebody. Let's look at South Carolina and Georgia. If they play 10, what do they say? If they play 10 times, Georgia wins nine. If they play 100 times, Georgia, 100 times, Georgia wins 95. If they play one time, anything can happen. It's, it's, it's like that when you're, when you're running plays in a football game. If you only want, run one play in a football game, either team could get lucky and could score, right? If you run 50 plays, you know, the better team will, will win most of the time. They'll pull away to win more plays. If you run 100 plays, the divide becomes larger and larger the more plays you run. So why doesn't Kirby Smart in Georgia want to run as many plays as you can, spread it out, let Jake Fromm get in the two-minute and just go, 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 and let people with inferior athletes try to figure out how to tackle DeAndre Swift and how to tackle Brian Herrian and how to tackle uh, Zamir White, how to cover and how to contain George Pickens and Demetrius Robertson. I think the, the, the move will have to be made at some point in time, but for George, I'm not so, so sure this year that the ship hasn't sailed simply because you, you, you went in after the season was over last year. You went all through spring ball. You went all through the summer program when the quarterbacks and receivers got together and did their own work. You came all through fall camp. At this point, you are what you are on offense. You know, I don't don't look for Georgia to come out against Florida and, and all of a sudden, you know, try to start putting up 60 and throwing the ball all over the yard. You know, like the old Kentucky, you know, days of how mummy. You know, you guys remember that in the SEC. But that's probably what Georgia should do. They should they they have to figure out a way to get efficient on offense. They have to figure out a way to put up points. They have to figure out a way to put pressure on inferior opponents. The Kentucky game was again just somewhat of an extension from the South Carolina game, an embarrassment. Georgia, it was 0-0 at halftime, right? Luckily for me, I, my, my anniversary and my wife's birthday was last week. Uh, so we celebrate. We were going to go into Atlanta and have a nice dinner and maybe, you know, go out and have some drinks, maybe stay down at a hotel, just have a nice evening away, right? And it, but it was so ugly Saturday. It was, so, it was rain and, and just wind and... Powell had a birthday party with, with one of his renegades buddies. And so Powell was at the party and Holly and I decided, let's just stay around here. We'll go eat at a, one of the local restaurants down by our house, Quanto Basta. Uh, once again, a small uh, family-owned business. Really good spot. If you're, if you're in this area, at the end of Windermere uh, and the, at the uh, intersection of Highway 20 and Windermere, Quanto Basta, really good spot, really good Italian spot. Uh, I would encourage you to give that a try. But 
So we go down there to have Holly's uh, birthday dinner and our anniversary dinner. And uh, we, we go to get Powell after the birthday party's over. And we walk in and we, you know, we missed the games. We were at the dinner. We missed the first half. Walk in at zero to zero. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I didn't miss anything. And, you know, Georgia put together a couple of runs and DeAndre Swift out-athleted a bunch of people and they, you know, scored and then ultimately slopped around, scored again and ended up winning 21 to nothing. But, you know, far from an impressive win. Uh, you, you just have to, at some point in time, try to get something figured out if you're Kirby in Georgia. You've got Florida coming up next week. Florida's going to score points, y'all, right? Florida is going to score points. They went down to Baton Rouge, and they scored 28 points. They were in the ball game. They're going to score points. Can Georgia score some on them? They they better. You know, at this point, it's uh, the, the, there are a lot of question marks, and a lot of Georgia fans are just scratching their head. But it's about to get real for Georgia with Florida coming up, with Auburn around the corner. Um, you know, and, and after you prove, after you did what you did against South Carolina, the uh, Missouri game, the Texas A&M game, the Auburn game, Florida game, those are, those are going to be tough games. Okay. Big news in the conference this weekend, or this past weekend, was the injury to Tua. Uh High ankle sprain. For those of you who wonder what's the difference in a high ankle sprain and an ankle sprain, because I used to be, right? I wonder what's, what's, what does that mean? Well, an ankle sprain is when you roll your ankle and your foot turns to the inside. You know, like if you're walking, you, you step on something, you're, you know, you just kind of roll your ankle per se. That's just an ankle sprain. Well, a high ankle sprain is when your foot uh, twists or, or is turned the other way, where your foot is turned out. Uh, and, and that's a, a much more painful, much more damaging injury. Uh, Tua actually had it last year. Um, and kind of an interesting thing I, I learned, there's a doctor, and I guess this is exclusive to Alabama, there's a doctor over in Tuscaloosa, the Alabama team surgeon, Dr. Norman Waldrop. And I'm guessing that he... Um, I don't know if he created the surgery or, or one of his uh, partners or, or someone they found out about the surgery, but there's a surgery that they do to stabilize this ankle on a high ankle sprain. And instead of being a, a four to six or possibly longer injury, four to six week rather, or possibly longer injury, they're able to take and do uh, a, a very, a kind of a minor surgery, but they run essentially some string or, and I guess it's some sort of an elastic type of string through the bone. I guess they drill a hole in, in, in each bone. They run the elastic string through there and, and, and tie it off on each end and they stabilize the joint. And, and then the player is able to come back. He plays with the, the string and, and the, the, what they did in the procedure in there and he's able to play and, and be somewhat healthy. Uh, to, they did it last year to Tua and he, he was able to, to play, he was pretty effective, uh, and that so that takes a lot of the time away from the injury. Um, so I do look for Tua to be back against LSU. I, he's not going to play this week against Arkansas. I I truly believe, I really do. I really believe that 
I could play quarterback for Alabama this week and beat Arkansas. I really do. So it doesn't matter. You know, Matt Jones is there. Mac Jones is there, rather. He will he'll he'll have a nice fun game against Arkansas. Then they've got a week off to get ready for LSU. I firmly look for Tua to be back and to be healthy um, in that game after the surgery. The surgery, they actually call it the tightrope. Um, you know, it's an interesting deal. Look it up if, if you guys want to. It's, it's interesting. I look for other people to start copying it or, or using uh, the same type of surgery. What happens, as you know, in a sprain is the ligaments and the, the tissues around said joint are, um, are stretched. They, they become compromised and therefore the joint is becomes unstable, uh, which, you know, gives you the sprain, gives you the, you know, the swelling and whatnot. But this is a, this is a pretty cool uh, deal they've, that they've created uh, over there. And, and a lot of people, like I said, will begin to copy that. I think um, <clears throat> Florida talked a little bit about Florida. We talked a little bit about, uh, you know, Georgia going down to Florida. That game's next week. Won't get too much into that now. Uh, we've got next week's show for that. We'll, we'll touch more on this. But Florida did have a, a pretty good win over South Carolina. This game, uh, we, we really didn't know what we may get uh, with Florida having gone to Baton Rouge and lost the week before. Tough, fought, hard-fought game in, in Baton Rouge. South Carolina, obviously, as we know, had, had been in Athens and had upset Georgia uh, for one of the biggest wins in their program's history. Uh, actually, the worst loss in Georgia football history. When you look at what the point spread was, um, and you look at other point spreads when Georgia lost uh, games, was the worst loss in Georgia football history uh, to South Carolina. So South Carolina and Florida meet up last week. Both teams coming off emotional games. Really didn't know what to get, but I'll tell you what we got. Wow, we got some bad officiating. And, and the officiating just tends to be bad everywhere college even in the nfl y'all and 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 so i've been thinking why do we have insurance salesmen refereeing major college and major well with every nfl game's major why do we have guys that are lawyers refereeing nfl football games why do we have guys that are pharmaceutical sales reps sell uh, refereeing SEC football games. That's a problem, y'all. We have in the NFLs especially, and even in the SEC, you've got elite athletes running around very quickly. And you've got a guy who may be 60 years old, and I'm not going to be fair to him, I'm not going to say out of shape. Because they all have to stay in some form of shape. But regardless, a dude who in no there's no chance he's going to remotely keep up with one of the best athletes in the world. Or athletes running or moving around the field. So why doesn't the NFL, why doesn't the SEC, the ACC, the Big Ten, why do they not hire a full-time crew of referees Guys, young kid, young guys that just, you know, they, maybe they were football players, maybe they were college players, maybe they didn't make it in the NFL, maybe they, you know, just retired for whatever the case may be, but younger dudes 
that can physically get around and be in the proper place to make proper and correct calls. Because there are so many calls being missed. I mean, the South Carolina game alone, South Carolina probably lost two touchdowns. Or Florida was probably given two touchdowns uh, that probably should not have been because of penalty. They put the replay system in effect. But, but this is challengeable. This isn't challengeable. Or this, well, this is reviewable. This isn't. This is going to be a booth review. This Well, inside the first last two minutes is going to be this review. It's Who cares about where it is or who calls the review? Why can't we just get a call right? Why can't somebody, why is it that me and my wife or my buddy or the crew sitting at Taco Mac can be watching a replay one time and say, oh, well, that, that guy was in bounds or he was offside or he was holding her. And, and these refereeing crews and review systems not be able to get it right. Who cares who throws the red flag? Let's get the call right, guys, okay? Anyway, South Carolina loses to Florida 38-27. to, uh, to 27. Nothing for the uh, the Gamecocks to, to hold their head about. They, they've really been fighting hard under Will Muschamp. Like, I, you know, I think everybody with any knowledge of college football fully expected. Uh, Florida, you know, will be coming into the Georgia game next week. They're still alive for everything. Florida's alive for the, the, the Eastern Division. They're alive to, to get that berth in the SEC championship game. And Florida, if they win out, you know what? Florida's in, they're in the playoff, period. So Florida is, they're jacked. They're feeling good about themselves. They feel like they're playing better with Kyle Trask than they did with Felipe Franks. And I think they are. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's odd, but facts are facts. South Carolina, on the other hand, they're going to battle. They're going to have a pretty, pretty decent season. You know, they they play hard for Will Muschamp. Move on. Uh, nothing really uh, worth talking about happened with any of the other top teams. Um, Wisconsin, you know, let's let's talk about. I, I beat myself on the chest last week that I gave you Wisconsin at two hundred to one to win the national championship, and I gave you LSU at twenty five to one. And Wisconsin subsequently goes out and loses straight up as a 31-point favorite. Yeah. Talk about um, wetting the bed. Or, you know, I'd like to say some other phrases there, but I'll, I'll, keep, it, uh, I'll keep it PG or G because I know a lot of our kids are listening. But Wisconsin goes to Illinois and loses straight up as a 31-point favorite. Obviously, a look-ahead game for Wisconsin. They were looking ahead this week to Ohio State. Um, they were coming off of their big win against Michigan State. You know, they like to call it a trap game, a sandwich game, whatever. And, and you can't really deny. Wisconsin went to Illinois and just did not get off the bus. But like Florida, Wisconsin still, you know, the, the fact is, they're still controlling their destiny for the playoff, I think. They would have a... They're not in a shoe-in as a, as a one-loss SEC champion would be. But Wisconsin, they went out. They beat Ohio State. That's going to be um, going to be hard to keep them out after getting through a conference with Ohio State, Penn State, uh, and after having beaten Michigan so thoroughly, if they went out. It doesn't look at this point like they will win out if they went to Illinois and lost. But, you know, maybe they will. Maybe they will. We'll see. Touched a little bit on the Tua injury. You know, t- Tennessee went over and played Alabama tough. 
They battled. And once again, with Jamie Pruitt, much like South Carolina with Will Muschamp, we're not surprised that they played them, that Tennessee battled and played tough, right? You know, Jamie Pruitt's teams are going to play hard. They went over there. Uh, they had their own quarterback issues going back and forth with Myron and Guantanamo, Garantano, rather, excuse me. But they played Alabama tough. Um, Tennessee defense scrapped and battled. I mean, losing Tua uh, did hurt Alabama's offense. But, you know, fact is, Tennessee had the ball very, very deep in Alabama territory, down two touchdowns. Um, in scoring position, they they were close to being able to get the touchdown and draw within one score. Turned the ball over. Alabama took it back the distance and, you know, hence the 35-13 final. And the game really wasn't close. You know, it, it wasn't – I'm sure Tennessee fans are trying to twist it that, oh, well, if we punch that in, we – you know, we're this. And now the, you know, Alabama dominated the game, as they should have. But credit to, uh, to Tennessee for battling, putting up a good, good fight there. Uh, <clears throat> let's jump to the NFL. The mess that is the Atlanta – Falcons. I, the Falcons just, they outdo themselves week in, every week, right? And let's think about this. Let's go back to week two. Falcons beat the Eagles. We talked about it. Good game, really, you know, competitive. But, you know, we mentioned if, if Nelson Aguilar holds on to that pass going down the sideline in the fourth quarter after the Falcons had taken the lead, then the Falcons lose that ball game. And if Nelson Aguilar drops that or is able to hold on to that pass. The Falcons right now may be the leader on the way to that number one overall draft pick. They may be 0-7 at this point. And that's it's coming into this season, nobody, and I mean nobody could have seen that coming from the Falcons. Uh Dan Quinn is completely lost. Dan Quinn and the entire coaching staff, unfortunately, have completely lost that team. There were reports that Julio Jones got up last week and uh, after the game and gave an impassioned speech uh, that, you know, the players need to take responsibility for this and this is not on uh, Dan Quinn, that, that, that the coaching staff and Dan Quinn had done all they were, they were to be expected to do in preparing the players, that the players were not uh, executing. And that may be true, but... You know, fact is, I, I get where Julio's coming from. He wants to keep his head coach around. He's comfortable with the way things are going in Flowery Branch. He just got his big contract, which is another topic we'll get to in a second. But Julio, I got, um, I, unfortunately, brother, I, I, I got, uh, I'm going to borrow a phrase from Scott Cochran, your old strength and conditioning coach at Alabama. Julio, dude, it is time to get comfortable being uncomfortable because another coach is coming in here and he's going to shake things up because the way it's moving now ain't working. Dan Quinn built this roster. This roster is not only horrible, not only horrible. And let's look at why they're horrible. What did we say last week? They did not build a solid foundation. They did not build inside out. They built outside in. Look what look who they had. Look who they chose to put their money behind. Julio Jones, wide receiver, Devontae Freeman, running back, undersized, concussion prone, injury prone running back. 
paid Devontae Freeman two years before they had to, made him the highest paid running back in football at the time he signed his contract. Just stop right there. I say the name Devontae Freeman. Raise your hand if when I say Devontae Freeman, you think best running back in football. Look around. Nobody's got their hand raised, do they? Raise your hand if you think top five running back in football. You don't. Okay, but Arthur Blank chose to pay Devontae Freeman big money two years before he was going to have to either pay him or let him go. Two years. Those are things that winning franchises do not do. He paid Julio Jones last year before he had to. He told Julio Jones when he paid him last year that I will pay you again this year. Now Arthur Blank and the Falcons are in salary cap hell. The Falcons just traded Mohamed Sanu to the Patriots for a second round pick. Great, great move by the Falcons. Applaud them. Okay. People say, well, you know, let, let's trade Julio. You know, we're rebuilding. Let's trade Julio. Hey, it'd be great. We could get a number one for Julio. We could probably get, you know. Here's the problem, guys. Because Blank just broke Julio off this year, the way the, law, the way the rules are written in the NFL as it pertains to the salary cap, if Julio Jones is traded or cut before the end of next season, then his salary cap number will be escalate or accelerated rather to $59 million next year alone. The entire salary cap, guys, is $200 million, $199 million. So as you can see, that's not possible. That rule was put into place so teams wouldn't try to skirt the salary cap by signing guys to big deals and then cutting them or trading them just to, to try to win now. You know, they want you to think that you, that's the way to, that's one of their uh, kind of stop gaps to make sure that people don't manipulate it uh, and, and trade people off or cut people and things like that. You can do it if you want, but you can cut people, you can trade people. But if you sign them to a stupid deal, all that's going to be accelerated and you're going to pay for it. Bad, bad signings by Arthur Blank uh, put the Falcons in salary cap hell. They're actually. At the, the very bottom of the league, there's a graph out. I wish I could show you. Uh, if we were doing this on Twitch or live, I could show you. But there's a graph out that's got all the teams in the NFL and how they are in their salary cap position. The Falcons are by far the worst in the league in terms of where they are, their flexibility, times what they – and then when you look at who they've got and who they've got it tied up in. They have, they have 27% of their cap tied up in two guys, Matt Ryan, Julio Jones. They have 50% of their cap tied up in five guys, Ryan Jones, Jake Matthews, Grady Jarrett, who's a good player. You don't know who the other one is? Desmond Trufant. So, as you can see there, the Falcons are just a mess. Uh it's 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 gonna get worse before it gets better. Um, just a very poor job of of um, of Arthur Blank, really. I mean, you can put it on the the GMs, you can put it on the front office staff. Um, Thomas Dimitrov has been a target for for a while. Now Dan Quinn is somewhat of a target because he is the one who allegedly has the the power to make personnel moves. 
Uh, I think that deep down the problems with this team are caused by Arthur Blank and him not letting his people do their jobs and by Arthur Blank injecting himself into uh, the negotiations and, and, nego- and giving Devontae Freeman money before he needs to by giving Julio Jones money before he needs to uh, and, and, and becoming involved and not realizing that you just can't give everybody everything. I realize Arthur's a multi-billionaire. He's, um, you know, in his, I think he's in his upper seventies. So a lot of people, when they get to that point, they want to take care of a lot of people. They want to give everybody everything, but uh, where it relates to the Falcons, it, it just doesn't work that way. And now, unfortunately, Arthur's paying for it. The team's paying for it. And, you know, really who's paying for it is, is the fans. You know, the people that bought the the season tickets and the Falcons fans, you're paying for it because there's really no light at the end of the tunnel at this point. Uh, who knows? You know, it, it's going to be a it's going to be a process. Can't really trade my um, Matt Ryan. The NFL is just not really set up like that. I've told you why we can't trade Julio Jones. They're trying to trade Vic Beasley. No takers. Is anybody surprised there? No. So, uh, real bummer for Falcons fans. <clears throat> um, you know what? We're we're down here in the this the southern region. We'll um, you know, I know there are a few Saints fans out there listening, and and the Saints are showing you how to get it done. You remember after, I think it was week two or possibly week three. I think it was week two. Drew Brees went out. Cam Newton went out. Falcons just beaten Philadelphia. I think everybody was one and one. And what did we think? We were thinking, hey, well, look at this. Brees is out. Cam Newton's out. Falcons, we got a shot to, to, to make a run. If I told you at that point that New Orleans, Carolina wouldn't lose, the Falcons wouldn't win. What odds could I have gotten? A lot, right? But that's what real programs, that's what real teams do. That's what real franchises do. You know, the Saints lose Breeze. They put Teddy Bridgewater in. Sean Payton alters the, the offensive plan, the scheme. Does what he has to do to win games because they've got a solid defense. Much like the New England Patriots do. Got a phenomenal defense. Think about why the Falcons don't have a defense. They've got all their money tied up in Julio Jones and Devontae Freeman. Tell me at one point, at any point over the last 20 years, when did the New England Patriots, the gold standard for NFL franchises now, when did the New England Patriots ever have the top or, or a, just, a, just even a big money, a big money wide out or a big money running back? You, you can't. They didn't. They had Randy Moss, and let's 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 go back. They got Randy Moss because he he had been bouncing around. Um, he was having problems here. He had problems there. A lot of people thought Randy Moss was a malcontent. Randy Moss is actually a very smart guy, a very talented guy. When he got to New England on one of those last last chance type of deals, what happened? Randy Moss had the best year of his career, and everything worked like a charm. Patriots should have been 19-0 or 20-0, whatever it was, and won the Super Bowl, but that was when the Giants pulled a rabbit out of the hat and Eli Manning's 
throwing balls off people's heads and David Tyree's catching them and, you know, with one hand behind his back and all that crazy stuff. Basically, what I'm saying is that's not the formula of a winning franchise. The, the Patriots cut people a year too early. The Patriots cut people when they still have tread on the tire. Most operations, most franchises, Falcons included, wait until it's a year too late. If the Falcons don't pay Devontae Freeman two years early, then they would have seen that he can't stay healthy. And we probably need to look at not giving him all that money, not getting tied up. Maybe we go with Tevin Coleman. But no, they they got married much sooner than they had to. And that's um that's just that's uh that's what you do or what you don't do rather if you want to win Super Bowls. Like many Falcons fans, I, I just had a bad feeling in the twenty at the end of the twenty eight to three debacle. Um, the Super Bowl, obviously, that um, that we made, that may be our shot. And I come to find out, come to think of it, I, I think that was unfortunately our shot. I don't know that we'll be there anytime soon. And that's unfortunate. Uh, <clears throat> well, guys, I appreciate you sticking with me this week. I uh, looking forward to next week. We'll come back, see, um, preview the big Georgia Florida game. Recap some of the action from this week. The Ohio State Wisconsin, I think, will be a nice one. Uh, this week, LSU and Auburn are playing this week. That should be uh, that could be interesting if Bo Nix can and, and uh, Gus Malzahn can put an offense together. I think they'll. I think the Auburn offense will do a little better this week than maybe people some people think. And I think that Auburn defense is going to be a test for for LSU. I think Derek Brown and crew are going to. I think they're good out there. And, uh, I think uh, Joe Burrow won't have it quite as easy as as he he's been having it. Had a few of you mention, you know, we, we talked about this, the title of the show, Stamp of Approval. Um, obviously, a play on my name that my boy Hub thought I should do or thought it'd be a good idea. Talked about giving a stamp of approval out for every show, and I, I'm, I'm going to do that. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm going to give my stamp of approval uh, this week. I, um, again, an- another small business, a real nice lady that, that uh, cuts my hair. I named Lisa um, up in, she, her, she's at the, uh, the, her shop is up at the strip mall right across from Sharon Elementary School. If you guys are looking for a local, she does men's and women's hair. So your wife, your, your daughter, anybody needs a hair, please stop by and see Lisa. But Lisa's husband is a, uh, a DeKalb County police officer in the, um, I don't know if, I don't think it's swatted. It's, it's the bad guy division. Uh, he had a canine partner. Uh, and, and, and the, and the dog lived with them. It was, you know, I don't want to say it definitely wasn't their pet because this dog was a, is a police officer. Uh, but the dog lived there. And, and when the dog retired, he would live with them. He would be their pets. It's a member of their family. It's her, her husband's partner. Um, uh, so, and they do, they go out and look for the baddest of the bad. I mean, the, you know, the, the most scary fugitives in DeKalb County, they go out and, and try to get them. And last week, some of you may have heard on the news that the, there was a, a dog shot uh, in DeKalb County, um, apprehending a, a multi-multi-time felon that had warrants and had a gun, and he was running and shooting at the police officers. He was, you know, shooting at whoever was around him trying to get away. Well, 
Lisa's husband, Officer uh, Sergeant Frank Cusimano, um, was after the suspect, let the dog go. Their dog was named Django. And um, suspect was shooting at him. The dog caught and apprehended the suspect. Suspect shot the dog, shot Django. Um, unfortunately, Officer Cusimano was in the gunfire, shot and, and uh, fatally wounded the suspect. Uh, Django, the dog, was was shot through the stomach and, and uh, through his back leg. Uh, luckily for Django and for Officer Cusimano and Lisa and the family, they uh, the dog survived. He did lose his back leg, so he will... I'm pretty sure that means he'll be retired from police work. Uh, but he's, you know, his, his life was saved and he's at home now. They had an interview on uh, the CBS National News with him last night. And, um, you know, talking about the, the relationship and, and the sacrifice and, and what, what the dog did to save human lives, save uh, a police officer's lives uh, last week. And so I'm going to give my stamp of approval not only to Officer Cusimano and uh, to Django, get well soon, Django. Thank you, Officer Cusimano, for all you do for keeping us safe. But also for all the uh, peace officers out there, all the police, uh, sheriffs, department guys, all the uh, GBI guys. One of my very dear friends, uh, Chris McCown, is a uh, GBI, a longtime GBI uh, member. Because um, that stuff ain't easy. I, it, I know it's under you guys are under immense pressure. Every day is a, a potential life and death. Uh, situation. I know it's a lot of times a thankless job. Uh, there's a lot of people backing for a lot of news media seemingly against you. A lot of people drumming up uh, the police brutality. And there is, I admit, I do know there's police brutality that goes on. There are bad people everywhere. But by and large, these people are great people. They protect us. They serve us. It's a thankless job. A lot of the times it's not a high paying job. I thank you from the bottom of my heart and I'm going to give all you guys a stamp of approval this week. Um, all you guys out there that are listening, uh, stay very safe. God bless you. Uh, and everybody let's, uh, let's, uh, let's get back together next week. Y'all for stamp of approval episode six. Uh, until then you guys stay safe with your families. Uh, I know a lot of my friends you've got, we've got football playoffs this week. Uh, good luck out there. Good luck to my, uh, my son Powell, Sharon Springs, fourth grade, 20 Falcons, as we play the Lanierland Lions, I think it is, this Saturday morning. Looking for a big win there. So, guys, have a great week. Thank you so much for joining me. We will be back next week again with episode six. Until then, uh, you guys take care. And uh, remember, support Pickers Vodka, Davidson's Reserve, Tennessee Whiskey, and any uh, small business that is in your area. I'm out, y'all. Have a good one. Many a day has passed. The night has gone by. But still I find the time to put that bump off in your eye. Total chaos. But these playoffs thought we was absent. We're taking another route to represent the Dungeon family like Ray Day. Me and my decide to take the back way. We stab in every city, then we headed to that back cave. ATL, Georgia. What do we do for ya? Bulldog and like them Georgetown Hawkins. Boy, you signed the silly thing. My room is sitting pretty. Doing donuts while you suckers like them suckers around titties. Damn, we the committee. Gonna burn it down. Hiya, puddins. It's your girl, Holly Quinn, a.k.a. Dr. Harleen Quinzel, here to tell y'all about it's like a podcast or whatever. 
We talk about nerd stuff and life stuff. And if you want to know what we're about, check out the Powie Awards, our 100th episode, Q and Slay, or theater from our butts. <laughs> Have a good day, puddins, and love, trust, and belief. Look, I don't have much time, all right? So let me just say something real quick. My name is EG, and I am the host of two shows that are part of the Hyphen Podcast Group. The first show is called Catch the Show. It's a show where I talk about music-related news and pop culture, upcoming tours that you may want to catch shows of, and I tell you about a show that I call it because it's the number one concert review podcast in the world, and I've reviewed shows from Beyonce to Kendrick Lamar to even the Backstreet Boys. So yeah, that's Catch the Show. The other show is called The Underground Monster. Slightly different kind of show, but still music-related. It's where I cover basically underground independent hip-hop, horrorcore, and the juggalo culture. So yeah, if you're interested in either one, go to hyphenpodcastgroup.com and or go to your favorite podcast platform and just search for them and hit that subscribe button okay got that cool now let's get you back to the show you were originally listening to thanks for listening don't forget to subscribe and comment this has been a hyphen podcast network production they're the bestest i'm getting paid at exposure